Hi, this is episode 7 of K. Ray Reads to You. We're reading The Saturdays by Elizabeth Enright, and here is chapter 6, Saturday 6. After Oliver's Saturday, the senior members of the ISAAC went to father in a body, and Randy, because she was president, was spokesman. Her speech was short and to the point. "'We've decided this business of going off by ourselves isn't such a good idea after all. We've decided to all do something together every Saturday instead, so Oliver can do it too.' "'A sound idea,' Father approved. "'I was going to suggest it myself, but I much prefer having it come from you.' So that was all right. The thing was, deciding on something they all wanted to do, that could be done within the limits of a dollar and sixty cents.' "'How about the Empire State Building?' suggested Rush. "'Heights make my stomach feel queer,' Mona objected, "'and besides, it costs too much.' "'How about the Statue of Liberty?' said Randy. "'Heights make my stomach feel queer,' repeated Mona patiently. "'Let's go up in an airplane!' cried Oliver excitedly. Rush just looked at him. "'For a dollar and sixty cents?' he said. "'And besides—' "'Heights make my stomach feel queer,' insisted Mona, in exasperation. "'Well, they say you don't notice it so much in a plane, "'but anyway, it's out of the question,' Randy said. "'I know what. Let's take our lunch in a basket "'and have a picnic in Central Park. "'We can plan a what-do-you-call-it for next Saturday "'and the ones after it.' "'A campaign,' said Rush. "'He sat down on the piano bench and improvised a march. "'Well, it's rather cold,' "'murmured Mona doubtfully. "'Willie's even got the furnace going. "'But it's May,' Randy said firmly. "'It ought to be warm. "'And anyway, who minds a little cold? "'We can take extra sweaters "'and have hot cocoa in the thermos bottle.' "'At last it was agreed upon. "'Cuffy told them just what they could take from the icebox, "'and Rush adroitly managed to smuggle half an apple pie "'and a jar of pickled onions besides.' "'You girls and Oliver will have to carry the things,' he told them blandly. "'I'll meet you at the zoo entrance at half-past twelve. "'Why? Why can't you come with us?' asked Mona, a little resentfully. "'They don't allow dogs on the bus,' explained Rush. "'And we can't go without Isaac.' "'Naturally they couldn't. Mona made no further objections. "'On their way out they met Willie Sloper wandering forlornly through the kitchen hall. "'Hello, kids!' whispered Willie huskily. "'Why aren't you talking out loud, Willie?' questioned Randy, whispering too. "'What's the secret?' "'Laryngitis,' whispered Willie, thumping his collarbone. "'Can't talk. Haven't felt so foolish since my voice changed.' "'You go see Cuffy,' ordered Mona firmly. "'She can fix anything like that. She's wonderful at curing people.' "'Merely a matter of castor oil, old man,' said Rush heartily, or heartlessly, "'depending on how you looked at it.' "'And gargling and gargling and gargling,' said Mona. "'And mustard plasters that burn like bonfires,' contributed Randy. "'Mustard plasters, gargling, castor oil,' cried Oliver, "'squeaking swiftly down the banisters. "'I'm certainly glad it's not me,' he said, "'as he banged against the newel post at the bottom and dismounted. "'I wish it wasn't me neither,' croaked Willie gloomily, "'departing in search of Cuffy. "'Well, good-bye, kids. You have yourselves a good time.' 
"'Oh, Willie, I wish you were coming too,' said Randy sorrowfully. "'But it wouldn't be good for your laryngitis.' "'Rush, you hurry and go on ahead with Isaac, "'or we'll be there hours ahead of you,' directed Mona. "'But as it turned out, he was only twenty minutes late, "'and they had a wonderful time watching the seals until he came. "'Let's find a picnic place right away,' Randy suggested. "'I don't know why it is, but whenever I have a picnic basket with me, "'I can hardly wait to begin eating.' After a while they found a place, quite near the lake, in a hollow between some rocks, where it wasn't so cold. Now and then the sun looked almost as though it were going to come out, but it never did quite. The Melondies didn't mind. The hot cocoa was exactly right, and Mona had created some unusual sandwiches, composed of peanut butter, mayonnaise, brown sugar, grape jelly, and lettuce, all at once between enormous slabs of bread." "'Big as monuments,' Rush commented approvingly. "'I like sandwiches to be so thick you have to open your mouth like a yawn to take a bite. "'Then you know you've really got something.' "'What's in them, anyway?' asked Randy. "'Mona's acting look came over her face. "'Eye of newt,' she replied dreamily. "'And toe of frog, wool of bat, and tongue of dog.' "'Adder's fork and blind-worm's sting, lizard's leg, and—' "'Mainly peanut butter, I should guess,' said Rush practically. "'But good anyway.' Isaac kept sitting up on his hind legs and crooning pathetically. They all gave him pieces of this and that. "'He's going to be a very fat, unsightly dog if we don't look out,' Rush said, tossing him a pickle, which he ate. He ate anything.' "'Thou cream-faced loon,' said Mona, "'you'll make him sick.' "'Cream-faced—what did you call me?' demanded Rush indignantly. "'It's Shakespeare,' Mona explained hastily. "'Macbeth. Look it up if you don't believe me. "'I always sort of liked the way it sounded. "'I suppose the witch-poem must have made me think of it.' "'Oh, well, if it's Shakespeare, I suppose it's all right. "'I thought it was something you made up yourself.' "'You'll have to be a very good actress when you grow up "'to justify all the Shakespeare we've had to listen to.' "'You'll have to be a very good pianist,' retorted Mona, "'to justify the nine hundred and sixty-seven times "'we've had to listen to you plough through the revolutionary etude.' "'And I'll have to be a very good dancer,' Randy said peaceably, "'to justify all the pounding and leaping I've done on my life.' "'Puh, huh. "'That didn't come out very well. "'And I'll have to be a very good dancer,' Randy said peaceably, "'to justify all the pounding and leaping I've done all my life.' "'When I grow up,' Oliver interjected suddenly, "'I'm not going to be a train engineer after all.' "'What are you going to be, darling?' Mona asked. "'A policeman on a horse,' replied Oliver raptly, "'reaching for a piece of pie.' When they had eaten all they could, and the leftovers were put back in the basket till they could find a waste-paper receptacle, they began to wonder what they should do next. Randy wanted to go back to the zoo, but that was out of the question, because Isaac was with them, and dogs were not allowed. Mona would have liked to feed the leftover crusts to the ducks in the bird sanctuary, but it was Oliver who decided the question. He wanted to go out on the lake in a rowboat, and that seemed a good idea to everyone, even though the day was raw and grey. Rush wasn't sure whether dogs were allowed or not, so they did Isaac up in a sweater, just to be on the safe side, and Mona carried him under her arm like a bundle. The boat wasn't expensive, thank goodness, 
forty-five cents for all of them, and they would have something left over for next time. They fitted into the boat neatly. Rush at the oars, Randy and Isaac in the bow, Mona and Oliver in the stern. Rush rowed very well. The water was a dark, thick green that looked almost solid until Rush cut into it with the oars, and it broke into curling, wavering patterns of light and dark, speckled with bubbles. There was only one other boat out today. A stout, elderly man was rowing at terrific speed. His face was red, and he was frowning. "'I bet he does it because he thinks the exercise will make him smaller around the middle,' whispered Mona. "'He looks as if it were medicine instead of fun.' Randy leaned far out over the bow and stared down at her own reflected face. Dark lips and eyes, wild curling hair. It looked different and new, like the face of a stranger, but it didn't interest her for long. Deep down through the face she could see things. A trailing weed, something round and white. Was it a shell? Glimpsed for a second and then lost. A shimmer of metal that could have been a silver bracelet or a dagger or an old tin can probably an old tin can. "'I like water,' Randy said. "'I like milk,' said Oliver. "'I didn't mean to drink. I mean to look at, or play with, or get into. Dark green water in lakes like this, and salt water with big waves and a fishy smell, and water coming loud over a dam, and water in brooks all full of caddis houses and green moss.' and water in swamps with cattails growing out of it, and yellow mud-puddle water that you can wade in, with the mud as soft as butter between your toes. "'And water in the bathtub with Cuffy scrubbing the skin off you,' added Rush, "'and water on the brain, like I think you've got. Ah, yes, my friends, water is a wonderful thing.' "'Well, I like milk,' said Oliver. "'Oh, look!' cried Randy excitedly. "'A big fish! I swear I saw a big fish!' She stood up, leaning far out. "'Where, where?' demanded Oliver, leaping to his feet. The boat lurched, Isaac barked, and Randy fell overboard with a loud splash. "'Oh, boy!' murmured Rush in an awed voice. "'Now what will Cuffy say?' Randy's startled face reappeared almost instantly, her curls plastered flat to her head. "'Gee whiz!' she gasped breathlessly, swimming to the boat. "'Is it ever cold?' "'Still crazy about water?' asked Rush, reaching out an oar for her to catch. "'I guess so,' replied Randy, doubtfully, grabbing it. "'But it's not so easy to swim in shoes and two sweaters and all your other clothes besides.' Rush and Mona pulled her into the boat, at the risk of capsizing it. Oliver bounced excitedly up and down on the stern seat. Isaac barked, the picnic basket fell over and disgorged cups, spoons, papers, and oranges all over the floor of the boat. It was a scene of the wildest confusion. By the time they had Randy aboard, they were all more wet than dry, and she was as drenched as anyone can ever be without being drowned. Rush pulled off his jacket gallantly and wrapped it around her. Mona gave her her top sweater, and tried to dry her hair with a paper napkin. "'We'd better beat it,' said Rush, rowing furiously toward the pier. The odd thing was that the man in charge of the boats seemed more annoyed than sympathetic about the episode, and remarked several times that this here was not no swimming pool like some dumb kids seemed to think. "'Now we'll have to take a taxi,' said Mona in resignation. "'There goes the surplus.' 
"'The what?' asked Randy breathlessly. They were all dog-trotting to the nearest exit from the park, with Oliver some yards behind, bleating, "'Wait for me!' "'The ISAAC money for today, she means,' Rush replied jerkily, "'but it doesn't matter at all.' "'It can't be helped anyway,' said Mona. "'I'm sorry,' gasped Randy, thudding moistly along. "'Maybe it wasn't a fish, even.' "'Don't you worry, Ran. It was sort of an adventure, after all,' Mona comforted her. "'I never heard of anyone falling overboard in Central Park before.' "'Wait for me!' wailed Oliver, far behind. Finally they reached the gate and found a taxi. The driver was a very nice man named Yasha Minskotsky, who roared with laughter when they explained what had happened. He seemed to share Mona's view.' "'You fell out a boat in Central Park? In Central Park? Out a boat? Wait till I tell my kid.' "'How old is your kid?' asked Mona politely. Nine year,' replied Mr. Minkskotsky. "'Boy or g-girl?' asked Randy, her teeth chattering. "'Boy, crazy over boats. Wait till I tell him. By some miraculous stroke of luck, Cuffy was out when they got home. Father was in New Haven, speaking at a banquet, and was not expected back till after midnight. "'Nobody'll ever need to know,' said Randy in relief. "'I won't have to take medicine or go to bed with a hot water bag or anything.' "'You'll have to take your shoes and socks off here in the hall. I'll get a towel. Otherwise you'd leave wet footprints all over the stair carpet, and Cuffy'd be bound to find out,' said Mona sensibly." "'What about all these wet clothes, though?' Randy trudged barefoot and shivering up the stairs. "'The wettest thing in the world to wear is a wet sweater.' "'Take them all off and give them to me. I'll hang them up in the furnace room,' said Mona. "'Willie won't tell if we ask him not to. And you'd better take a good hot bath, Ran.' When Cuffy returned at four o'clock, she found the Melendy children up in the office, peacefully employed. Rush was playing the Gollywog's cakewalk, Randy was practicing standing on her toes, Mona was reading, and Oliver was painting large pictures of the circus, with a great deal of paint, mostly red. "'Did you have a nice time?' inquired Cuffy. "'I was afraid it was going to rain. I thought to myself, they'll get caught in a shower and come home soaking wet.' "'No, Cuffy,' Randy said. "'We didn't get caught in a shower.' Cuffy couldn't understand why they all snorted with giggles at that. She didn't see anything funny about it. At bedtime, Cuffy said, "'Well, I suppose I'd better go down and put the furnace to bed, too.' Mona looked up, startled. "'Why? Where's Willie? Is his laryngitis worse?' "'I told him to stay home in bed a day or two. We could look out for the furnace,' I told him. "'Let me do it, Cuffy,' pleaded Rush. He'd had a sudden vision of all Randy's clothes drying on the basement clothesline. "'I'd like to do it. Really, I would.' "'Well, all right, Rush. I don't know's there's any reason why you shouldn't.' "'And every reason why I should,' said Rush, significantly, with a wink at Randy. Besides concealing the evidence of her mishap from Cuffy, this was an excellent opportunity to get Isaac out of the basement and up to the forbidden haven of his room.' At last all the good nights had been said, all the doors closed, all the teeth brushed. The night wind sucked in the window-shades, and then blew them out again with a sighing sound. 
Sometime in the night Rush half awoke to hear a thunderous downpour of rain and the sound of Cuffy closing windows all over the house. He just had time to get Isaac under the bed and sink into deep simulated slumber himself when Cuffy came into his room and closed the window. He could hear her clicking her tongue and muttering, "'Teeming! It's simply teeming!' "'Why do people always say it teems when it rains hard?' Rush wondered drowsily, and went to sleep again. It was the deepest, darkest sleep he had ever had. For hours there wasn't even a dream in it, and then at last there was a dream. Far, far away a dog was barking. In his dream Rush could see it, a tiny dog sitting in a lighted doorway at the end of a long passage. "'Funny how clearly I can see it at this distance,' thought Rush in his dream. "'It must be at least a mile away, and yet I can even see the little freckled places on its muzzle.' "'Be quiet,' he said to the dog. "'Be quiet. Let me go in peace. I want to go away without any noise.' But instead of being quiet, the tiny dog suddenly expanded and grew enormous, big as a house, towering above Rush, and his barking was terrible.' "'unbearable and overwhelming.' "'Rush opened his eyes wearily. "'It took him several minutes to realize "'that it was Isaac who was barking. "'Isaac, Isaac, what's the matter?' "'Rush's words came out slowly. "'He felt queer, as though he were still in the dream. "'Isaac continued to bark. "'Oh, do please shut up,' begged Rush. "'All I want to do is go back to sleep, "'and how can I if you make such a racket?' Isaac paid no attention. He ran to the closed door and back again, barking all the time in a shrill, nervous way, as though he were afraid. "'It's strange he doesn't seem to have wakened anyone,' wondered Rush. "'I'd have thought Cuffy would be in here long before this, giving us both the dickens.' His arm felt heavy as lead as he searched for the light switch. "'What's that funny smell?' His heart began to beat a little faster with an unknown fear— though still heavily, laboriously, as though he were carrying a burden up a hill. His hand found the switch, and the room sprang into light. Everything looked the same. The big tin alarm clock ticked loudly like his own heart, and its severe black hands pointed to three. There was the pile of tattered scores, and the tennis racket, and the nine big airplane models, and the bookcase with all its litter of books. There were his clothes— his empty socks hanging sadly over the chair-arm, and his shoes on the floor, one upright and one toppled on its side. Everything just as usual. Yet, was it? There was that funny smell. There was that heavy feeling in his chest, and the way he saw everything so clear and yet so distant. There was Isaac's barking. Rush swung his legs over the edge of the bed. When he sat up straight he felt queerer than ever. "'That smell!' Rush said out loud to the frenzied Isaac. "'I know that smell, but I can't think what it is.' For some reason he began to think of a movie he had seen several years ago. Again he saw the hero fallen forward across the papers on his desk. "'What's the matter? Why did he die?' he'd asked Mona. And Mona had said, "'Are there any more caramels in that bag? He's dead of coal gas. His wife put too much coal on the fire.' Like a diver on the ocean floor, 
Rush staggered clumsily to the door and pulled it open. The smell was terrible. Everything looked the same, and yet he knew that an evil power was coiling through the house like some invisible venomous serpent. He hurried past father's empty room and down the stairs, banging at Cuffy's door, and when there was no answer he hurried in and threw open both the windows. "'Cuffy! Cuffy!' he called urgently, shaking her plump shoulder. "'What's the matter?' said Cuffy at last. "'Why in the world are you hollering so? Look out! Don't knock over my teeth!' She reached down for the tumbler. "'Hurry! Hurry!' cried Rush. "'It's coal gas. The house is full of it. Get Oliver awake and take him outdoors!' "'What in the world? Why is Isaac barking so? Coal gas!' Cuffy, awake at last, sprang out of bed in her huge white nightgown. "'Where are the girls?' But Rush was already in their room, opening the windows and calling them. The window shades stood out flat on the gr- The window shades stood out flat on the draft. Rain streamed in, and the city odor of damp and soot and wet cement was like the breath of heaven itself. "'Mona, Mona, Mona!' shouted Rush. "'Get up, get up! We're being suffocated to death!' "'Oh, I don't care! I want to sleep!' begged Mona, and buried her head under her pillow. She wanted to sleep more than she had ever wanted anything in the world, to sink deeper and deeper into this velvety, fathomless, dreamless sleep. "'Wake up! Wake up!' bawled Rush in a voice like iron as he pulled the pillow away. "'Coal gas, I tell you! It'll kill you! Wake up!' Mona opened her eyes. Oh, how hard it was! How horrible to come back again! "'My head hurts so terribly!' she wailed. "'Coal gas? You mean like in that Paul Muni picture we saw?' "'That's right! That's what made me know what it was! That and Isaac! Hurry up, Mona! Put on some shoes and a coat! You'll have to help me with Randy! I can't get her to wake up!' Mona was ready in an instant. She bundled Randy into a coat and socks. Shoes took too long. "'Shake her some more, Rush!' Mona's voice was breathless with fear. "'Oh, Rush, do you suppose—is her heart beating?' "'Of course it is, you idiot!' Rush sounded angry, but he sounded scared, too. "'Here, help me!' He slung the limp little figure of Randy over his shoulder and began to go downstairs. Cuffy had turned on all the lights and opened all the windows. She had wasted no time. As they came down to the first-floor hall, they heard the screech of a siren as the emergency van drew up. In the vestibule, with the doors wide open, stood Cuffy in her red flannel wrapper with the grey tail of hair hanging down her back, and Oliver weeping drowsily in her arms. "'We can't wake Randy up!' cried Mona, as Rush, with a grunt of weariness, put Randy on the floor. Very carefully he put her down. She looked so small and pale, and seemed so fast asleep that he felt terribly frightened. Cuffy dropped the howling Oliver and bent over Randy. "'She'll be all right once she gets a little air, poor child.' The emergency men came in in their dark blue uniforms. There seemed to be dozens of them, hundreds of them, thundering up and down stairs. Two of them worked over Randy. It didn't take long. In about five minutes she opened her eyes. "'Rush!' she whispered. "'Yes, Ran.' "'What happened?' "'Coal gas. 
"'Something happened to the furnace, but everything's okay.' "'I dreamed you and I were going down a long, dark tunnel, "'like a subway tunnel, only with no cars. "'Way in back of us, at the end, there was a lighted doorway. "'You kept saying, "'We ought to go back, we ought to go back. "'But I kept saying, "'No, no, we ought to go on.' This was so extraordinary that Rush could hardly believe it. "'I dreamed about that tunnel myself,' he told Randy. "'Only I saw Isaac in the doorway, and he was really there. "'He's the one who saved us by barking so loud.' "'Rush,' said Cuffy, "'after this you can keep that dog in your room every night if you want to. "'He can sleep on the foot of your bed, bury his bones under the living-room carpet, "'leave his muddy paw prints on the woodwork and anything else he likes.' He's a wonderful dog, and no mistake. Out of doors a little knot of curious people had gathered. The light shone on their wet umbrellas. Willie Sloper pushed his way among them, mounted the steps, and entered. He had a piece of flannel around his neck, and his spiky hair glistened with rain. "'Where are your rubbers, Willie?' demanded Cuffy. Willie ignored the question. "'What happened?' he whispered strickenly. "'Was it the furnace?' "'Coal gas? I don't know how it happened,' replied Rush. "'I put coal on the furnace myself before I went to bed. "'I left the furnace door wide open, too.' "'Open?' croaked Willie, almost with his normal voice. "'You mean you left it open? "'Didn't I ever tell you you have to leave that door shut? "'Some furnaces you leave the door open, "'some furnaces you leave the door shut. "'This one you have to leave the door shut. "'Doggone it, didn't I ever tell you that?' "'I don't think so,' Rush said humbly. "'I just thought if you left the door open it would be better. "'More air and everything.' "'My fault,' whispered Willie tragically. "'Doggone me for a dang old fool. "'Why, you might a all been suffocated in your beds. "'Pretty near was, too, and I'd a been to blame.' "'Rush found himself whispering in sympathy. "'Oh, that's all right, Willie. "'You probably did tell me, and I forgot. "'Anyway, I should have known.' "'A fine engineer I'll make, and anyway, we're all okay.' "'Dang old fool!' muttered Willie to himself, shaking his head. "'It was at that moment that Father's taxi drew up. "'At a quarter to four on Sunday morning, "'he found himself greeted by an emergency van, "'a crowd of curious onlookers, "'and a policeman who didn't want to let him go into his own house.' When he did go in, he found dozens of other policemen, his entire family in the front hall attired in bathrobes and pajamas, and Willie Sloper, who drifted toward him like a ghost, and whispered, "'It's all my fault, Mr. Melendy.' "'What's all your fault?' cried Father. "'Why can't you speak up? What are you whispering for? What in the name of heaven is all this? What's been going on?' Cuffy explained. Rush explained. Willie explained. Isaac barked. Mona and Randy and Oliver sat in a pale, solemn little cluster on the stairs. "'That furnace,' said Father, "'out she goes before the fall. I've stood enough from her, more than enough. Are you sure you're all all right?' "'I almost suffocated,' said Randy in a stately voice. "'But you feel all right now?' "'Yes, except my head hurts.' "'Mine does, too,' said Mona, hoping she looked pale. "'I feel hungry,' Oliver said. "'Well, let's all go down to the kitchen and get something to eat. "'Maybe it'll make us feel better. "'You come, too, Willie. "'I'll just run down and take a look at the old villainous in the basement. "'I want to talk to the emergency men for a minute, too.' 
Father ran lightly down the stairs, and the rest followed more slowly. There were rivulets and ponds of water under every window. The rugs were soaked, and the drawing-room curtains hung limp and damp. The house smelled of rain, but it was a good smell. The serpent had been vanquished. Father joined them in the kitchen. "'Randy, are those your clothes downstairs in the basement?' he asked, opening the ice-box door. "'Oh, gee whiz, yes they are, father.' "'What are they doing down there? Even your shoes are tied to the clothesline.' "'Well, I fell into the lake at Central Park this afternoon,' began Randy. "'It all had to be explained.' "'You've had quite a day, haven't you, Randy?' said father, when she had finished." He looked out the window at the retreating, screaming emergency van, and the slowly departing crowd of people who seemed disappointed that there had been no disaster. He looked at his dishevelled family, and then he took a cold lamb chop out of the ice-box and tossed the whole thing to Isaac. "'Be it ever so humble,' said father, "'there's certainly no place like home.'" And that's the end of Saturday Six.